The Cambrian period is often called an explosion of biodiversity. In recent episodes of the series, we saw that even before that so-called explosion, there were already several different animal phyla, including some unsuccessful experiments that were already going extinct. And during that 55 million year explosion, one lineage of bilaterally symmetrical animals developed a flexible notochord running parallel to a central nerve cord along the oral to anal axis front to back. One of the daughter sets of that group also began developing a cartilaginous cranium, and one of their daughter sets further extended that into spinal vertebrae. So that by the end of the Cambrian period, we had the first true fish. But they still weren't complete fish as we know them today, because they lacked a number of important features, most notably jaws. The earliest of these vertebrates is a stem group called agnatha. This is a paraphyletic term from the days of Linnaean grades and is not consistent with monophyletic clades. Agnatha refers to jawless vertebrates, but this group isn't an actual clade because it doesn't include all of them. There are many more jawless fish than just these. But for the moment, we'll call this group agnathans just for illustrative purposes, because they're typically represented by the most primitive fish that we've already seen in the previous episode. They're a collective more commonly recognized by the traits they don't have compared to later fish. Most obvious of these is a lack of paired fins. Some have only a single median dorsal fin that extends to and wraps around the pointed tail to provide propulsion, like a caudal fin, but that's all the fins they had, so they couldn't be fast or agile swimmers. Agnatha also included eel-like conodonts, which had pretty serious teeth. And these fossil fish likely had their teeth rooted in a tough membrane like the hard beak in a squid or the vicious hooks in their tentacles. Each of the species mentioned so far in this series evolved in the Cambrian or prior to that, but the clades I'm about to mention evidently emerged in the Ordovician period or later because not all of these lineages appeared at the same time. Cambrian conodonts are structurally similar to the cysticlade maxini, more commonly known as the modern hagfish. Hagfish have opposing rows of teeth growing out of bony plates on the sides of their mouth rather than jaws above and below. But if these two sidebars could be hinged to a cranium or fused together in the front, they would begin the construct of a jaw. Hagfish were once classified alongside lampreys because they have no vertebral column. But it turns out that hagfish embryos do develop a rudimentary vertebrae up to a point and then they're reabsorbed. This is another example of how embryological development parallels evolutionary development in a field of study called evo-devo. To confirm this, genetic evidence also indicates that these vertebrae were secondarily lost, just like they are in embryo. So hagfish are the only invertebrate vertebrates, at least as adults. Note that since hagfish are the only surviving members of this clan, then we wouldn't have either embryological evidence or genetic confirmation for any of these other fossil clades. And without that, we can expect that some of these clades could be changed in light of new or better preserved fossils. Pterospedomorphs are descendants of these earliest agnations, but with paired nostrils as opposed to the one nasohypophyseal opening in some of their sister species. They appeared in the Ordovician period around 470 million years ago. This was a time when there was plenty of oxygen in the water, but not quite enough yet in the air for people to breathe normally. Terapsids were apparently the first fish to have scales, unlike the smooth skin of lampreys or hagfish. Although these first scales weren't always in regular overlapping patterns, but also random and variable concentrations like a pox of dermal bones. They even had scales on their tails. And some of these areas of dermal armor apparently fused together into exoskeletal plates, similar to those of the Vertulicolia that we saw in our last episode. 
There were quite a few lines of fish that were unlike anything we have today. I'll put links below where you can read more about them on paleos.com. That's an excellent website describing paleofauna across a range of geologic periods with information that is difficult to find anywhere else. I'm happy to say that the Paleos creative team are interested in working with the Phylogeny Explorer project because we have similar goals. Anaspids are the next generation appearing in and restricted to the Silurian period, roughly 440 to 420 million years ago. Anaspids look more like modern fish. They had no armor other than scales, which are now arranged in regular patterns because natural selection starts with a random mess and eventually sorts out what arrangements work best. So the scales on their tails are gone, having been replaced by fin rays. As some also have an anal fin in addition to their combination dorsal-caudal fin. You can see here how the originally pointed tail combined with the dorsal fin to make the flukes of a typical fish tail. In many monitored fish, the tail tapers flat into the rays and the caudal fin takes a number of shapes required by the type of swimming these fish typically do. So anaspids have more modern fins, but they still don't have pectoral fins no paired fins, and some of them had pectoral spines emerging behind their gills, providing the first structure to be adapted to another purpose later on. And some also had additional fin rays, paired fin rays, along either side of their belly. Hox mutations can duplicate a feature from one area and grow it somewhere else, and this particular mutation marks a huge advantage, not just for these fish, but for their descendants as well, because any ability to maneuver these fins provides substantial advantage in swimming, so there's a strong selective pressure to improve that ability. Eventually, more advanced versions of this fish had the ventrolateral fin fold reduced to just the pectoral area, where the brachial spine could serve as a leading edge. Now there's a potential appendage to anchor a skeletal fulcrum and stronger muscular attachments, which is what eventually happened. Atelodonts are the next distinct group of these early jawless fish, though they're a peripheral lineage with no modern descendants, so they didn't contribute any important adaptations. Like pteraspids, they emerged in the Ordovician period and lasted until the late Devonian. They were also armored like pteraspids, but not with bony plates. They were armored by a concentration of toothy scales. Several of their fossils are nothing more than these scales in their original pattern, looking like an artist's rendering in pointillism. Note that a few of these fish had paired pectoral fins, but these evolved independently of anaspids, because these aren't ray fins. They're just muscular wings of a sort, like a manta ray might have, with no skeletal support. Though telodonts are a large and diverse group, there are a few articulated fossils, but those we have show that the pectoral fins were not common, and they had other traits that were not like anything we have alive today. Galeospeda and Osteostrasi were similar-looking armored fish from the early Silurian through late Devonian periods, one difference being that Galeospids had cartilaginous head shields, while Osteostrasi helmets were ossified into actual bone. Osteostrasi also commonly had structurally supported paired pectoral fins, which offer a huge advantage in swimming. It's hard to imagine how earlier fish got by without them, wiggling as clumsily as tadpoles for 80 million years. But the subject of this video is this last group known as Nathus tomata, which means vertebrates with jaws. Now, how did that finally happen? Well, remember in the last episode when I said that even the Cambrian fish Metaspergina already had gill bars and that this would be significant later? As you can see, the development of the jaw is in concert with the post-vertebrate expansion of the skull. And these gill bars ended up framing the mouth, and their pre-existing two-part structure was naturally malleable. The muscles already attached to these gill bars could eventually close or open the mouth with those bars. Now until that time, fish could only close their mouths with no more force than you could close your lips. 
So they just suck, I mean, literally, because that's the only way they could eat. But once those muscles had a hinged lever to work with, they could do something no other fish could. They could bite, and that gave them the edge over everything else that ever lived, which we'll talk about in the next video. So even if you still don't want to accept evolution, are you ready to clench your jaw and at least accept your taxonomic classification as a nathostome?